listening to the New Life Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. For more info on service times and locations, you can find us at newlifefoursquare.org. In this episode, Pastor Ron continues our series, The Circle Maker. His message serves as a powerful reminder. Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers, which then results in a well-lived life. You know, we started a year, uh, Bing and I are parents again. We adopted uh, New Year's Eve, uh, so we have a new member in our family. It's a cat, actually. <laughs> and uh, her name is Haku. One of these days, we'll introduce her to you, and we're having so much fun right now, enjoying her. Well, um, this year, um, this is the first Sunday of the year, and we're starting this year, as Nara had mentioned, we're kicking it off, a 21-day prayer and fasting. And we're also starting a new series. It's called The Circle Maker. And we hope and we believe that this will take our church's prayer life, our faith and experience in God, to the supernatural in our prayer life. Hopefully that we will reach a new level in our prayer life. Okay, shall we all stand and pray? Father God, we, uh, we come to you this year, Lord starting out uh, in a direction where you have led us, Lord, according to the vision that you've given our senior pastor, Pastor Ken. And so today, Father God, we want to move in the direction you want us to move because we know it is the best place and the safest place to be. And so be with us, teach us, Holy Spirit, inspire us, restore us, inform us, give us wisdom, guide us today. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. You may be seated. How many here needs healing? I need healing too. Praise the Lord. I really thank God for Pastor Fell for helping me out last week. I could not even speak straight for 10 seconds without barking last, last week, and this week is, I'm hoping is a lot better. So this next three weeks, we're going to be on a series based on the book, The Circle Maker by Mark Batterson. This book is available, as a matter of fact, online, and there are different resources that you can purchase or you can use during your prayer time or, or study time. The book is actually based on a true story of a legend of a man named Honey. And the story took place at a time where we call the time when God went silent. 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It was those 400 years God went silent and everybody thought they were being punished by God. This was the time the Jewish prophets had passed away. There were no miracles taking place. Like God went somewhere else for 400 years. He went silent. But there's a story of a man, as I said, named Honey, a true story, where we find out that God didn't actually go as silent 
as everybody thought he did. In fact, it was the generation right before Jesus was born and walked this earth. It was the first century B.C., and there was a devastating drought that hit the land at that time. Now, every now and then we get a rain. How many of you complain when it's, when it's raining? And how many of you complain when there's no rain? Some of you complain when it's hot, and some of you complain when it's cold, right? You see, during these times, I said, there was drought. And when there's drought, the only thing they have on mind is, when is rain going to come? It was so bad during the time of Honey, people thought they were just going to die. Drought was taking so long that it threatened to wipe out the generation. Imagine this drought going on and people, people felt that God was so distant, He was so far away, that He moved away and they haven't heard from Him. They thought God had given up on them. And you know, in life, the hardest part of walking in faith is when you are not hearing from God. That is the hardest part of walking in faith. Like, you're just doing what God is telling you, but you're not hearing from Him. That is the hardest part of walking in faith. Have you ever felt that way? Lord, I'm doing what you want me to do, but I'm not hearing from you. So it was a time where people felt like they had no hope. And so all this going on, and there was this man named Honey who lived out on the outskirts of town, just lived outside the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And so one day, in the midst of drought, Honey walked out with his six-foot staff, you know, like six-foot where you walk with a staff, which he always carries around. How many here carries a staff? Your staff today is the cell phone. You can't get home without a cell phone. During that time, it was a staff. Okay, he carries that around wherever he goes. And with, uh, and with people watching, he walked out into the wilderness and the dry desert, and he began to draw a circle with his staff. 90 degrees, 120 161, 360 degrees. He drew a circle with his staff. And then, after he drew that circle, he knelt down inside that circle. And then he prayed. This is what he prayed. He said, Lord of the universe, I swear before your great name, that I will not move from this circle until you have shown mercy upon your children. The story tells us that everyone who heard this prayer felt a shudder down their spine. It wasn't the volume of his voice. It was the authority of his tone in a prayer without a hint of doubt. A prayer that didn't originate from his vocal cords, but from an artesian well. Prayer. Words that flowed from the depth of his soul. A prayer that was resolute yet humble, confident yet meek, expectant yet unassuming. 
I don't know about you, but I've met, and I know a lot of people, you know, when they pray, it is so powerful, you can sense the confidence, the power, and authority as they're praying, and you know something is happening within, in that midst, in that atmosphere right now. You know any people like that? There are a lot of people like that. Maybe you're one of them. And so when Honey prayed, then it happened, as his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops descended to the earth. And an audible gas swept across the people who encircled Honey. Every head turned heavenward as the first raindrops started pouring from the sky. But Honey, his head remained bowed down. The people rejoiced each drop, but Honey wasn't satisfied with a sprinkle. Still kneeling within the circle, Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of people celebrating and continued to pray, and he said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns, pits, and caverns. He was praying for flood, not a sprinkle. The sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. You know what an egg looks like, right? The raindrops were about an egg in size. Okay? That's a hail, more than a hail, I think. Right? It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the Temple Mount to escape the flash floods. So Honey stayed and prayed inside his drawn-out circle, and once more he prayed, and he refined his bold prayer and request and said, Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain of thy favor, blessing, and graciousness. After you pray this, then, like a well-proportioned sun shower on a hot and humid afternoon, it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop represented a token of God's grace. And they didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the spirit with faith. It will be forever remembered as the day, the day claps of thunder applauded the Almighty. The day puddle of rain jumping became an act of praise. The day the legend of the circle maker was born. And it had been difficult to believe the day before the day. The day after the day, it was impossible not to believe. After that, everybody believed. Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved. But some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction of people believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God. Maybe it was those same members of the Sanhedrin who would criticize Jesus for healing a man's withered arm on Sabbath's day a generation later. 
They threatened Honey with excommunication. But because the miracle could not be denied, Honey was ultimately honored for his act of prayerful boldness. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. The circle he drew in the sand, the picture earlier, the emblem, became a sacred symbol. And the legend of Honi, the circle maker, stands forever as a testament to the power of a single prayer to change the course of history. All because of an old man with a staff, believe though they haven't heard from God, that God still heard them, was still for them, and dared to say one of the boldest, most audacious prayers in the history of the world. In fact, in Israel, it is still going down, as I said, as one of the most powerful, life-changing prayers to be ever prayed in the history of our world. It is my hope, our hope, the pastoral team, that our series in the next weeks will help us to experience God in a whole new way. That our prayers, our faith will go to a whole new level. You know, one of the greatest tragedies in our world is that there are prayers that are never answered because they're never prayed. Do you know that our prayers are the best indicator of how we view God? You want to see how you view God? Look at your prayer life. Our prayer are the best indicator of how we view God. How many of you believe that nothing is impossible with God? You know, sometimes we go to somebody who's sick. If it's a fever, we pray for them. If it's cancer, we don't. Because we don't have that much faith. We don't believe that much. And let's look back at what Honey did. Imagine yourself being with him. And he was about to pray. He took that staff, as I said, drawing on the ground a circle. What's this guy doing? Maybe you wonder. Is he nuts? And then he said to his prayer, you know, Lord, I am not praying, leaving the circle until you show up and answer my prayer. There may be people around him saying, you know, this, night, this guy is cuckoo. He's nuts. God's not going to do that. How many of you sometimes would see somebody praying and say, oh, that, what, what they're praying for there, that's impossible. That's not going to happen. Sometimes we are those people who criticize people who are praying for the impossible. We are putting so much limit on God that he can only do certain things. But you know what? There may be some people around him saying this guy has gone crazy, but what's crazy is God showed up and responded on his prayer. If we want to see God 
do crazy miracles in our life, we need to pray some crazy prayers. Why? Because God honors bold prayers. Say, God honors bold prayers. The earth has circled the sun more than 2,000 times since the day Honey drew his circle in the sand. But you know what? God is still looking for circle makers today. And the timeless truth within this ancient legend is as true now as it was then. Bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. God isn't offended by your biggest dreams or boldest prayers. He is offended by anything less. If your prayers, listen to this, if your prayers aren't impossible to you, chances are they are insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. We know in our the testimony in our in, in our lives, my wife and I, whenever we come to an impossible situation, we know that's when God is about to work. Always, when we can't do anything else, He always comes through for us. If you read the Bible, how many impossible stuff that you would read about there? Parting of the Red Sea. Can you really picture the, the Red Sea parting? That's, a, that's actually something that happened. The sun stands still. Can you imagine the sun standing still? That's what the Bible tells us. Or, you know, an iron axe head floating? That's in the Bible too. And to us human beings, that's impossible, right? But to God, nothing is impossible. Say, God, nothing is impossible. There is nothing God loves more than keeping promises, answering prayers, performing miracles, and fulfilling dreams. That is who He is. That is what He does. And the bigger the circle we draw, the better because God gets more glory. The greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when the human weakness or, or our inability and the divine omnipotence, the power of God intersects together. And when they intersect, we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. Let me remind you this morning, God is ready and waiting. Say, God is ready and waiting. So while I have no idea what circumstances you find yourself in, I'm confident that you are only one prayer away from a dream fulfilled. A promise kept or a miracle perform. One prayer away for your breakthrough. 
it's absolutely important at the outset that you come to terms with the simple yet life-changing truth. God is for you. How many believe that? God is for you. You see, if you don't believe that, then you'll pray small, timid prayers. If you don't believe it, then you'll pray. Or if you do believe it, then you will pray big, audacious prayers. And one way or the other, your small, timid prayers or big, audacious prayers will change the trajectory of your life and turn you into two totally different people. You know, prayers are prophecies. They are the best predictors of your spiritual future. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Let me repeat that. Who you become is determined by how you pray. Ultimately, the transcript of your prayers becomes the script of your life. Look at your prayers. Evaluate your prayers. They are the best indicators of how we view God. You know, if I ask you a question right now, what is a prayer, one prayer, that change the course of history or the course of your life. There is a prayer that changed the trajectory, the course of your life. I remember to this day that prayer that changed the course of my life. It was in October of 1996. We were in a small four-square church in Poway, California. We didn't know the people. There were about 20 people in circle praying in front of the sanctuary. My wife, the service wasn't starting yet. There were a few people in the sanctuary. And then the people, one of the people just said, the couple at the back, would you come forward? The Lord has a word for you. We came forward. That was when we were going through some of the most difficult moments in our life. We didn't know. We were questioning God. Lord, we were praying, what are we going to do, Lord? Are we going to go back to the Philippines? My wife was just, she just arrived back from a seven-month hold from the Philippines, and we're in the process of either being deported. We were in limbo. We didn't know what to do. I don't know if we're going to go back to the Philippines or we're going to stay here in America and all that. And in that circle of prayer, they were praying for us and the guy prophesied, you will be preaching in front of a lot of Filipino and Americans. I didn't even know that person. But you are going to be in a period of waiting like a baby in a mother's womb. <laughs> I did not. I was stubborn. I was fighting that all those years. It was in October of 1996 in that small church 
It was prophesied that I will be. It changed the course, the ministry of my life, my wife and I. Fourteen years later, it was a family camp here at New Life. My wife and I, with some of the friends, after all these years I was resisting it, I finally obeyed. We went back to that church where it was prophesied, and my wife and I were ordained in that small church. I said, Lord, I'm going to serve you. I don't know where this is going to lead, but I'm going to serve you. I know my life is going to change from there on. The Lord is directing you someplace today, a clarity of a place where you need to go and you too have been resisting it. Honey wasn't the first guy, you know, to pray in circles. The story in the Bible, there's a story in the Bible, you know, in the book of Joshua, the first generation of Israel that entered the promised land. Finally, they are at the verge of this promise. But there's a city of Jericho standing on their way. If you know anything about Jericho, back in the day, the city of Jericho had a wall around the whole city. It was 52 feet high and 6 foot wide. Now, intentionally, I'm not going to put the scripture on the screen other than the verse because I want us to start every now and then flipping our own Bibles or phone apps if you have your Bibles. Turn it to that page. So that once again we'll get to use, we'll get used to using our Bibles. So if you have it, you can follow me and open that, the book of Joshua. Now let me read it. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of rams, horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Verse 6, So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priest and said to them, Take up the ark of the covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed them. Verse 9, the armed guard marched ahead of the priest who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, do not give a war cry. Do not raise your voices. Do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city circling it once. 
Then the army returned to camp and spent the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armen went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So as I said, this city had a six-foot-wide lower wall and a 50-foot-high upper wall all around it. The mud brick walls were so thick and so tall that the 12-acre city appeared to be an impenetrable fortress. It seemed like God had promised something impossible, and his battle plan seemed senseless. God instructed Joshua and the entire army to march around the city once a day for six days. On the seventh day, they are to march around the city seven times. Every soldier in the army wondered why. Why are we doing this? Why are we just marching? Why, are not, why, why don't we just attack? Why don't we throw something inside? Or, like, it doesn't make sense, right, to them. Why not cut off the water supply or, or shoot flaming arrows over the walls? Instead, God told the Israelite army to silently circle the city. And he promised, after circling 13 times over seven days, that the wall would fall. Maybe you need to do that to your husbands. Circle around seven days. Don't say anything. <laughs> or the other way around, and they would fall. The first time around, the soldiers felt a little foolish, of course, right? But with each circle, their stride grew longer and stronger, and with each circle, a holy confidence was building pressure inside their souls. <coughs> By the seventh day, their faith was ready to pop. They arose before dawn and started circling at 6 o'clock in the morning at 3 miles per hour. Each mile and a half march around the city took half an hour. By 9 o'clock, they began their final lap in keeping with God's command, they hadn't said a word in six days. That must be hard not to say anything at all for six days, huh? They, they just silently circled the promise. Then the priest sounded their horns and a simultaneous shout followed. 600,000 Israelites caused or raised a holy roar. That must have sounded like an earthquake. And the walls came tumbling down. After seven days of circling Jericho, God delivered on a 400-year-old promise. It was a 400-year-old promise. He proved, God proved, that once again, do you know 
that His promises don't expire. Say, God's promises don't expire. God's promises don't expire. And Jericho stands and falls as a testament to the simple truth. If you keep circling the promise, God will deliver on it. He will ultimately deliver on it. Kahit 20 years ka na sa college, He will deliver. What is your Jericho? What is your Jericho? No doubt what happened in Jericho was a miracle only God can do. It not only reveals the way God performed this particular miracle, it also establishes a pattern for us to follow. It challenges us to confidently circle the promises that God has given us. <coughs> and it begs the question, as I said, think about it. What is your Jericho? What promise are you praying around? What miracle are you marching around? What dream does your life revolve around? Drawing prayer circle starts with identifying your Jericho. You need to identify your Jericho. You've got to define the promises God wants you to stake claim to. The miracle God wants you to, to, to believe for and the dreams God wants you to pursue. Then you need to keep circling until God gives you what He wants and what He wills. That's the goal. Now here's the problem. Most of us don't get what we want simply because we don't know what we want. A simple question I can even ask you, what do you want to eat? You don't even know what to eat sometimes. That is the problem with us. We don't know what we want. What do you want to take in college? What kind of work would you like to do? How much money would you like to make? What kind of ministry would you like to be involved with? What do you want? What is your Jericho? We've never circled any of God's promises. We've never written down a list of life goals. We've never defined success for ourselves. And our dreams as our are as vague as the clouds that are moving around in the sky. Instead of drawing circles, we draw blanks. More than a thousand years after Jericho miracle, another miracle happened in the same exact place. Jesus was on his way out of Jericho when two blind men hailed him like a taxi. Lord, son of David, have mercy on us. And the disciples saw it as an interruption, but Jesus saw it as an, a divine appointment. So he stops and responds with a poignant question. What did he ask them? What do you want me to do for you? 
They didn't say, hello, Lord, excuse me, we're blind. Can you give us? They didn't say that, right? Seriously, is that the question? Is that question even necessary for Jesus to ask? Isn't it obvious what they want? They're blind. They want sight, right? Yet, Jesus forced them to define exactly what they want from him. Jesus made them verbalize their desire. He made them spell it out. But it wasn't because Jesus did not know what they wanted. He wanted to make sure they knew what they wanted. And that is where drawing prayer circle begins. Knowing what to circle. What do you want? What if Jesus asked you this very same question? What do you want from me to do for you? Would you be able to spell out the promises, miracles, and dreams God has put in your heart? I'm afraid many of us will just be dumbfounded. We wouldn't know what to say because we aren't ready. We have no idea what we want God to do for us. And the great irony, of course, is that if we can't answer this question, then we are blind spiritually as this blind man were physically. So while God is for us, most of us have no idea what we want God to do for us. And that's why our prayers aren't just boring to us. They are uninspiring to us. If faith is being sure of what we hope for, then being unsure of what we hope for is the opposite of faith, isn't it? Well-developed faith results in well-defined prayers. And well-defined prayers result in a well-lived life. Like the two blind men outside Jerusalem, you need an encounter with the Son of God. You need an answer to the question. He is still asking, what do you want for me to do for you? May I ask the worship team to come up as we prepare the communion? Obviously, the answer to this question, it changes over time. You know, we need different miracles during different seasons of life, right? Because there are seasons in our life. It changes. We pursue different dreams during different stages of life. And we stake claim to different promises in different situations. It's a moving target. But you have to start somewhere. Why not right here? right now. Let me give you a few things as we're preparing to close. Shall we all stand? New Year's Eve, we started to challenge you. These are just a few things we can start doing. Don't just read the Bible. Start circling the promises. Don't just make a wish. Write down a list of goals. Don't just pray. Keep a prayer journal. Bring your notebooks. Define your dream. Claim your promise. Spell your miracle.
See, our generation desperately needs to dis rediscover the difference between praying for and praying through. There are certainly circumstances where praying for something will get the job done. But there are also situations where you need to grab hold of the horns of the altar. Just like honey. He didn't get out of that circle. And refuse to let go until God answers. You refuse to move from the circle until God moves. You intercede until God intervenes. Praying through is all about consistency. It circled Jericho so many times, it makes you dizzy. And our hope in this time and season of prayer and fasting, that you will start listing down and really evaluating your prayer life. What are you praying for? What do you really want? What do you want for the church? What do you want for your family? What do you want for yourself? What do you want for your workplace? What is it years but I found out there's no such thing 